educating and really making people, assisting them and making a, a good buying decision, to me is the best way to sell. Uh, that way you're not really selling anything, you're giving facts. I, I don't wanna feel like I'm manipulating somebody into buying something that they don't wanna buy. I wanna help them make a decision that they feel good about. Because when they do, then they're gonna call their, tell all their friends and say, dude, you gotta go see Rob over at, at, at the jewelry store, man. He'll, he'll show you all the stuff. He'll teach you how to make that right buying decision. Hey, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Slow Smoke Business Podcast. I'm your host, Jared Morgan, and I am super fired up today to be talking to Rob Kessler, founder and CEO of Million Dollar Collar. Now, Rob's got a bunch of cool things he's going to talk to us about. He's got an interesting background. I can't wait to hear the story of how Million Dollar Collar came about. And while we're doing that, I found out Rob is a boat captain. So today, we're going to be actually making some salmon. Uh, I've got this is a first for the Slow Smoke Business show. I'm going to be doing some salmon on uh, cedar planks and um, hoping I don't set anything on fire. So welcome, Rob. Hey, how's it going, Jared? It's good to see you, man. I'm so happy to have you here. I want to go throw these on the grill. And uh, do you ever grill out over there? You live in California, right? Uh, I recently moved to Georgia, but I love grilling out. I just uh, My wife does the kitchen dinners and I do the outside dinners. So... Uh, yeah, I love to get, to get I like the grill that. going. Okay. Oh, I forgot my, forgot my spatula. So I'm very nervous about this because I, you know, I think people think that when I grill these things out that I do them, uh, and I'm just like, that's all I ever do. And that's not true. Like I haven't grilled cedar plank salmon in about 15 years. And the last time I did it, uh, the wood caught on fire and it was, it was an incident. And so I've been scared about it. I thought if that happens on this show, that will make for some great, uh, some great podcasting. I'm also, I don't usually pimp the si the spices that I put on things, but I'm going to do it on this one. I don't know if you can see, uh, on the, this is from Flounders Chowder House in Pensacola. That's my hometown. And I love their key lime seafood seasoning. So we're throwing that on the, the salmon and I will keep an eye out to see if that thing becomes a raging fire. Yeah. Watch for smoke. So what, what part of Georgia are you in? Uh, we're just outside of Atlanta uh, in a little town called Tyrone. Uh, my wife is a okay. super badass stunt woman, and uh, Atlanta is actually the movie-making capital of the world. So she uh, she got a job here for seven weeks, and, and in the middle of it, she said she started looking at houses, and I said, let's do it. And she found a house. We closed on it, and two weeks later, I had our whole place in California packed up, and we were gone. So Wow. So what, yeah. And you, what part of California were you in? Los Angeles. We were in uh, Manhattan Beach when we moved. So probably got a lot more house for the money, I would imagine, oh. when you moved to Georgia, right? Yeah. So we were renting in in uh, in L.A. like everybody does. And the house that we were renting was 1,200 square feet, little three-bedroom. They put it on the market. It sold for almost $1.4 million. Um, and we paid less than half wow. of that for our house in Georgia. And it's like 5,000 square feet on five acres. So, <laughs> yeah. So, I, I mean, there's a trend going on, right? So, you, by the way, in that intro, you said two things I didn't expect. One, that your wife is a stunt woman. Uh, and two, that Atlanta is the movie making capital of the world. Yep. So, you're, first of all, you married a stunt woman? Well, she wasn't a stunt woman when we got married, but she became one while we were married. <laughs> okay. <laughs> She was more she was more attainable then. Not now she's not very attainable. 
<laughs> I mean, that would be like you meet a stunt woman, and then so how? Do, I, I'm even more fascinated. How do you? How did you watch her go from not being a stunt person to being a stunt person? Uh, it was actually a really amazing transition with her. She, when we met, she had a corporate job. She was like following the path that you're supposed to follow, but she had this deep passion for fitness. She's got, I mean, shredded six pack abs always has. Everybody always says, how do I get abs? How do I get abs? So I pushed her <laughs> and encouraged her to follow that passion. She, when she was on her business trip, she was studying to get her personal training license. She got that. She started training in the park did a whole summer of training like after work and then quit her corporate job by the end of that summer. We bought a building. I moved my screen printing business out of the basement. She moved and opened a gym. We ran that for several years and then decided, you know, if that was fun, let's do something else. Packed up everything, moved to California, knew nobody. She didn't know what she was going to do. At that point, she had modeled for Matrix and Beachbody and Insanity and Woodway and like all these high-end fitness brands. So we got out there thinking she was going to do something in the fitness world. And the only people we knew were literally the kids that leased us our apartment. And so we were out walking our dogs one day and, and the guy's like, what are you going to do? And she's like, I don't know. Like, I just want to do something really active. And so he goes, you know, what? one of my former tenants was a, a stunt man. Do you want to meet him? And she said, yeah. And so we worked out with him a couple days later and, uh, he told her all the horrible things about the industry and she said, sounds great. Let's try it. And she took <laughs> off. I mean, she jumped in with both feet and uh, she's amazing. She's been in like 60 or 70 different shows and movies and uh, a Netflix show called Lou just came out. And she helped craft the entire, all the fight scenes in that one movie. Um, so, I mean, she's wow. just, uh, just super crazy. I mean, it's awesome, awesome to watch what she's done in her life. So we're getting like a twofer here. I was I was ready to get your sort of story of building something or whatever. We got hers too, so that's really cool. Yeah. Uh, so clearly, what is making you guys a special couple is you know neither one of you guys seem content with a nine to five kind of cubicle office dwelling, right? Um, and so you have started this incredible thing, uh, Million Dollar Collar. So for those of uh, our listeners that have never heard of it, why don't you tell them what it is, and then we can get into how you created it. So the simple way to describe it is think collar safe for a dress shirt, except nine inches long and it goes down the front of the shirt where the buttons and the holes are. The statistics say that 90% of people, when they wear a dress shirt, they don't wear a tie and there's no product out there that really makes the front of the shirt look great all day long. And so uh, that's basically what million dollar collars. It's a nine inch long collar stay that gets sewn into your shirt. Once it's in, it lasts the life of the shirt. That is like, that's the truth because sort of like the, uh, I don't know, the corporate finance world, like the uniform today for like business, certainly like in, in the circles that I've always existed in has been like the, you know, the collared shirt, unbuttoned, no tie, unbuttoned at the top, no tie and a jacket. Right. And mm-hmm. there's very little to make that look right because it's none of those shirts are designed to be worn that way, but you're right. That's nine out of 10 times. That's how they're being worn. Yeah, they're, they're, they were always worn to be or designed to be buttoned all the way up and worn with a tie. So there never had to be any structure. That part of the shirt's called the placket. And so there was never any structure in the placket because they never had to. Uh, but, you know, for the last 10 or 15 years, right. people really have ditched the tie and have just kind of dealt with the fact that it's going to be sloppy and you're going to do this a thousand times a day and try to adjust it, and make it look good. Uh, I 
you know, I got married. If you can look over my shoulder, there's a picture from our wedding day. That was before I could even say I do. And my shirt was just a sloppy, crumbled mess. And I came home from Jamaica. I started cutting open dress shirts and I showed my new bride and, and the light went off. And she's like, I get what you've been complaining about all these years. Because to me, the dress shirt is the most versatile thing a guy can wear. You know, if you're going out at night or you're going to work, you can wear it tucked, untucked. You can roll the sleeves. You can button it. You can wear a tie. Like you can just wear it a ton of different ways. You can wear it under a sweater. And for the go-to piece to be so uh, unreliable just drove me nuts. You know, I'd be there ironing, still trying to get my shirt to look right. And she'd be ready to go out. She's like, dude, what are you doing? I'm like, let's go. And what are you messing around with it? I was trying to get this look and I just didn't know it yet. So you come home from your wedding, you're angry about it. How do you, is it obvious to you that you need a nine inch collar stay or did you have to iterate and, and try some different things? Uh, I knew that it would had to go here. It had to go into the placket. I, I looked on the internet. I tried to search everything I could. There was always these just kitschy collar stays that were trying to perform what I thought. Like, well, the problem is here. The problem isn't up here. Collar stays were invented in 1888. I, that's not the issue. The issue is there's no structure here. So the first shirt I cut open, I just shoved a piece of cardboard down here to get past about the second or third button. And I didn't even sew it back together because I didn't know how to sew at that point. So uh, I used some cardboard, shoved it in, showed her, and she was like, dude, that's it. And so I went from cardboard to uh, mini blinds and milk cartons. And uh, we had these flexible uh, cutting boards in our house. So I tried that. So I kept looking for all these plastic type materials. And as I was developing the process, I originally thought we were going to sell our own shirt. So we did a Kickstarter. We're like, oh, we're going to make our own shirt. We didn't get funded, but unequivocally, the feedback is, why are you trying to compete with every other brand? And why can't I upgrade the shirts I already own? So the design I thought was going to be the design, I had to totally scrap and change to make it into a universal fit. Uh, and then that's what took almost three years was because I knew it was going to go into the shirt. It had to last forever. It had to handle the, the heat of dry cleaning. It took forever to develop that, that material uh, that it is today. Man, I love that story. We talk on this show all the time about, you know, making progress instead of seeking perfection. And you're, you're a perfect example of like, you put together the best thing you had, right? You had this plan, you go and you launch a Kickstarter, and that's where you learn what your business is really supposed to be, right? When people give you the feedback after looking at it. And you wouldn't have done that if you just sat back and tried to figure that part out. Who knows if you'd ever actually launched the business, right? I'm one to just kind of keep moving forward. I would, I was trying to do a shorter one because I was trying to save money and it just kept giving this like Travolta, you know, 1970s splay. And I was like, like, no, it's gotta be longer. And I finally, like my buddy just finally kind of hit me over the side of the head and said, dude, this has got to be longer if this is going to work because this, this isn't working. And I, you know, it's trying to save, you know, whatever, a couple pennies just to get more product out of each roll of material. And so you know, it sometimes takes somebody from the outside to say, get out of the way and, and you got to listen to that feedback. So it, it's much better now. Now you guys, you guys do have some shirts now, right? So we've gone like full board. We've been selling online for the last six years. We've sold almost a half a million units in 127 countries. And it's all been this wow. aftermarket sewn in, you know, version. And so people kept saying, well, I want this or I want that or I want this. And so once we got established in selling, 
I have a wholesale account, and so I can get you Calvin Klein, you know, Ralph Lauren, Van Heusen. So we have all these brands that we buy, we upgrade, and then we sell with Million Dollar Collar already installed. We have a mail-in service where you can mail us five shirts. We'll upgrade them and send them back to you. Um, and then we're just finally launching our own oh, dress wow. shirt. I didn't know that. That's a great idea. Yeah, yeah. I, I never got it because, wow. look, I'll send you the five or ten sets. And there's 100,000 uh, tailors and 40,000 dry cleaners in the U.S. So there's somebody, you know, a stone's throw from your house. Why would you want to mail them all the way to me? But people do it. So, um, you know, every order comes with instructions. It's insanely easy to do. We're in 650 dry cleaners and tailors as it is. But if you want to mail it in, we'll take care of it. We'll do it for you. Well, I think it's smart because you, you're sort of meeting your customers where they are, right? If they want it already in a shirt, you can tell them that. If they want it to go upgrade the shirts they already have, you can do that. Or they can send it to you. I think that's smart, but it, you didn't start there. How did you get the feedback from people to know that you needed to try to give these other options? You know, people are uh, pretty vocal online these days. And so, um, you know, sometimes you got to weed out the, the knuckleheads, but at the, at the end of the day, there's always should be some good feedback in there some way or some way, somehow. And I'm always, you know, because I know that this sewing in step is kind of a pain and people don't typically want to do it. I mean, the U S just doesn't alter their clothes the way that the rest of the world does. If you go to Europe, I mean, nobody buys off the rack and just wears it. They buy it, they tailor it, everything fits perfect. The U S just doesn't do that. So it's been really easy to sell over there um, in Europe, but here has been a little bit more of a challenge. So I always just am looking at it from the customer's perspective and saying, how can I make it easier to try my product? Because once you get this in one shirt, you're going to look at the rest of the shirts in your closet and be like, the, I, I, this is the only one I want to wear. I don't want to wear any of those. So I know <laughs> if I can get you past the first one, right. that you'll take the extra step and go do the rest of the 30 shirts that are in your closet. Yeah, that's cool. So you've walked us through how you, you actually kind of figured out the product. How did you, uh, you did the Kickstarter and then how did you, you know, start building a following. How do you go, how you sold, you said half a million of these. Like, how do you get to half a million sales when, you know, you're not some giant, you know, corporation with a big ad budget or whatever. How did you get that many followers and move that many items? One at a time, baby. Uh, When we first came out, (laughs) we knew that the product was very demonstrable. Like you have to see it to understand what it is. Uh, So we went right to, the biggest YouTube fashion influencers sent them product and got them to review oh. it. And so them with their followings, I mean, we set out and it took off pretty quick because, you know, people trusted them. That's, that's, you know, why they follow them. So um, that was how we kind of got started. And then it was all followed up with Facebook ads and email marketing, which I can tell you that we're not great at the, all of that stuff. And we still have managed to get to this point. So um, as we launch our new shirt, uh, which is amazing, um, I think that's just going to take it to the next level and, and build this brand. I mean, we've we've gone out and tried to license this to every major brand out there, and we hear the craziest feedback from them. And and finally, after hearing no a thousand times, I just said, screw it, let's just make our own shirt and prove that this technology is enough to differentiate and build a brand around. So we're making our own shirts now and, and get ready to launch those. That's really interesting. So. So the larger ones are not, uh, you know, sometimes you got to be, when something's different, 
you know, sometimes you got to be hit in the face with how valuable something is to really break out of your paradigm and do something if you're an established player. Um, but you're str- you're selling these strictly online now, right? Yeah, everything's right online. I mean, look, these guys are launched. They're releasing stretch collars. Like, who cares about a stretch collar? Ninety percent of people aren't wearing ties. Like, that's how slow they are. They're like, oh, we got yeah. the stretch collar. This is awesome. I'm like, you guys are dumb. Like, just pay attention to the market. But they're slow, slow to move. Yeah, I mean, that's great if you're wearing a tie. But yeah, you're right. I mean, th- yeah, the 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 business world now, like I said, is the button down uh, shirt with an open collar. Right. So, all right. I have a, I have a button up shirt question for you. What button is the appropriate button to unbutton down to on the chest? Like what is, what's your philosophy on obviously top button is out. Next button is likely out. It looks like there. How many, how far down do you go? I'm a two button guy. To me, I feel like only doing one button is a little stuffy. I don't want to categorize anybody, but you know, I feel like accountant. <laughs> You know, a little, it's a little stuffy with just the <laughs> sure. one. Well, I don't think we have a lot of accountants that listen to the show. So to me, it's a two button thing. And another nice thing about million dollar collar is it kind of, it doesn't allow it to really go way open. Like you're at a nightclub, like it, it still keeps between the second and third button together pretty good. So you really, there's my button. I mean, it's, it's almost just opening right there, but it's, it's got that structure. So it keeps it up. And I'll tell you, when you throw a jacket on, you know that that collar just gets eaten up by the lapel of the jacket. And you're constantly pulled. With million-dollar collar, it just doesn't do that. You can wear a jacket all day. I mean, it's amazing. That's really – so that's really cool. Let's check the uh, let's check the salmon, make sure I haven't started a fire yet. Okay, so far so good. Uh, that looks pretty good, actually. This might turn out to be, uh, to be something. So what's next for you? You got – what's the vision for million-dollar collar – you know, five, 10 years down the road. So beyond uh, us launching our own shirt, which is called Go Tyless, it's the first shirt designed to be worn Tyless. So nice, easy name, easy to remember. We have, you know, like I said before, I had a screen printing business. So I think about, well, instead of selling a customer one shirt, I'd love to sell them 50 shirts or 500 shirts. And so our factory can digitally print any logo or any design onto the fabric. And then we cut and sew those pieces and assemble the shirt. So one of the really cool, totally wow. different things that we're doing with Go Tiles Custom is we can take your company's logo and build it into the shirt. Now there's a 50 shirt minimum because these are made in Turkey and they got to set up the whole line to, you know, print the fabric and do all that. But any color, any size combination, any body color of shirt, and we can give you the most custom. We call it the, cl- the classiest logoed shirt on earth because instead of that old school, traditional, you know, left chest trade show shirt, yeah. you know, you've got this really classy, subtle logo shirt that's got, you know, the logo just kind of on the cuffs and in the collar band. And it is freaking awesome. So extra small to 3XL yeah, that's and really slim cool. and standard. Uh, so just about every every size is covered, and it's going to be your favorite shirt. Your work shirt's going to be your new favorite shirt. Okay, that's a big statement. So what did you do before <laughs> you got into this? What, what was your what was your background? Uh, so I've sold houses, cars, and diamonds. So the three biggest things that most people purchase in their life, I I did sales in. Uh, I had a screen printing business. I've had my real estate license for nineteen years. Um, 
started cutting grass when I was, you know, 10 years old or whatever. And just, I, I got a lot of family members that are entrepreneurs and have their own businesses. And it's just kind of always where I felt most comfortable. I just, I hated retail because I just couldn't, I couldn't sit still long enough to wait people to come in. I, that just drove me nuts. I was rather go after it and try to make out, make the reach out and, and make the connection with somebody. And it, I've just been better at that. So it's interesting about your background then is like, you've got, I, I see like a common set of skills, like the, the ability to talk to people and sell and kind of hustle and understand that. But at nowhere in your background, was there a fashion background? I find that oh, kind no. of interesting. No, not, not fashion at all. I tried to start a, a, a clothing line in 2006 called nude stood for nothing else will do N E W D. So nude clothing. I thought we're playing on the name was really cool. So I didn't have any artistic ability. So I have a bunch of friends that are artists. And I said, hey, instead of selling a $2,000 painting, why don't we take that art, throw it on a t-shirt because this is like Ed Hardy, $80, $90 time. I'm like, I know that t-shirts don't cost $90 to print. So why don't we take your art? We'll sell it on a shirt, sell a limited run of them. You can kind of promote yourself, make some money and not have to sell that massive painting, you know, to pay your rent or feed yourself. And so I started doing all these shirts and it was great, except the artists are terrible self-promoters, like terrible. So they, they weren't <laughs> promoting these at all. And I had all this inventory and all these shirts and I was doing all these shows and trying to sell all this stuff. And one of the things that people kept saying, man, I don't care about what's on it. I love the shirt. I love the shirt. And I just was able to continue to find really cool, soft fabrics, fit really well, um, that burnout tea, I don't know if you remember those when in like the around 2010, I was like the hottest thing ever. It was like the softest fabric. And so we were I was doing oh, yeah, yeah, prints yeah, yeah, on yeah. burnout t-shirts, and people were just like, dude, I don't forget the, the thing, the print, just give me the shirt. And so I stopped doing the prints wow. and then I started just put my logo on them. But I was subbing out all that that work to different screen printers. And it's getting killed on the price. And I'm saying, man, I can I can figure this out. And so I just kind of put it out in the universe. And I was doing a, I sponsored a radio show. It was their their one year anniversary. And I was telling this guy, I'm like, yeah, I want to I want to learn how to screen print, blah blah blah. And he goes, oh, the, one of the guys in the band that's playing tonight, he he's talking about buying screen printing equipment. So I met this guy two weeks later. We bought all the equipment together. He taught me how to screen print, and I built a million dollar screen printing business off of that. I mean, like wow. a tabletop, four color, two station. It was $2,500 worth of equipment. We split and I built a million dollar business off of that. Well, so it feels like you're oversimplifying that building a million dollar business off of a screen printing thing. I mean, you've got to hustle quite a bit uh, to get there. I did hustle, but yeah, it's simple stuff, man. Like think about yeah. if you've ever ordered shirts they bundle 12 of them together and you grab one and then there's this huge pile and mess. I individually folded every single shirt by size. So when you took them out, you had small, medium, large. It was easy to hand them out. I made, I cut out every label of every shirt and screen printed my own label in. So every single shirt became a branding and a marketing piece. And so I was able, you know, everybody knew where that shirt came from. It didn't have a Gildan tag in it. It had my tag in it. And then, you know, we just did little stuff like that. And I never, ever, ever missed a deadline. I remember doing a bunch of shirts for a friend for a leukemia walk. And the walk was the next day. And I'm in the middle of screen printing, in the, at, you know, at night at my house. 
And I'm looking down, I'm like, God, this word leukemia is such a weird word. I, I don't think this is right. And I had done the artwork. I spelled leukemia wrong, and I had half the shirts printed. Oh, no. So I had to drive two hours south to Chicago to pick up, to my distributor, to pick up enough shirts, get back, and print them, and still deliver them that afternoon. Uh, I just never, I, I, I heard so many horror stories. People like, oh, yeah, the shirts just weren't done. It's like, what do you mean they just weren't done? My event's today. It's not like I can get them tomorrow. So I just made sure I would never, ever, ever miss a deadline. Yeah, that kind of discipline pays off uh, because it's just not common, unfortunately. There's a lot of people that, are, that will accept, well, you know, it just didn't kind of work out. And particularly, like, I've dealt with a lot of people. We moved a year or two ago, and just contractors and things like that, man. Like, that mentality permeates a lot of different industries. And I think and people wonder why, you know, why their business get held back is because you can't be relied on for those kinds of things that people eventually move on. They, and they rely on the people or they go to the people that they know they can rely on. And that's something that I think is lost on a lot of entrepreneurs that are starting a business. If you can just be, regardless of what your business is, if you can just be something that someone can depend on, they know that when you say you're going to do it, uh, you know, you're going to do it and you're going to do it when you said you were going to do it. And then if it costs more or whatever, you're honest about it, that stuff adds up. And eventually, you know, people like to deal with people they can trust and that they like. And uh, when you create a following like that on personality, I mean, clearly you've got a great personality, so I can see why people would kind of gravitate towards you when you're in a business, but coming through for people like that, people remember, and that's how you can kind of build a following. I just think it's so much easier to, to over over deliver what you're giving than to try to have to find a new customer all the time. I mean, one of my main niches in my screen printing business ended up being little bars. You know, you go into a bar and they have their logo on a shirt and it's like $20. And I would go to these bars and I, I was friends with a lot of bar owners. And I was like, that's drinking money. Why would you try to charge $20 for a marketing piece? Why don't you charge $5 for that shirt? I'll sell it to you for six or seven. You might lose a buck or two, but that guy's got $15 more to spend on beer that you're making nine times your money on. And you got someone running around with your t-shirt. Oh. And so I had this little bar called the Monkey Bar in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. I think they went through 3,000 shirts a year uh, just through the bar. So it was when it was Packer season, they were green and gold. When it was Brewer season, they were blue and gold. When it was the Badgers, we did red and white. And I mean, every season, every holiday, they had something going on with their colors. And it was like, there's this limited run of this, you know, color combination you can get and it was just their logo with this little monkey head and whatever color we were doing i mean it was like the simplest thing but people would be driving around town and you would see these monkey bar shirts everywhere like everywhere and it was like a 1500 square foot bar <laughs> that's something yeah people people forget that so if you if you have a um an opportunity to speak to somebody who's getting ready to start a business and they're afraid to get started or they're not sure what to expect. What kind of advice do you give somebody that's getting ready to start a business? Uh, number one, be passionate about it. Um, uh, cause those times when it's challenging, which it's going to be challenging a lot is the times that you're going to be ready to throw in the towel because it just doesn't mean that much to you to succeed. Um, so everything that we've done and the things like our boat business grew insanely fast because we were deeply passionate about boating and customer service and it just word spread really quick. So I feel like the passion side is, is really helpful. Uh, you also need to find, you know, 
what differentiates you. Like and I said, in our, our boating business or even in Million Dollar Collar, everybody was working on a collar thing because this was harder. And I said, but this is where the solution is. And so I will look at what the whole market is doing and say, if they're all going this way, there's got to be something right over here that's different enough that I can stand out. Um, and so I, I always look for a little bit of a niche that's different than what everybody else is doing. Yeah, you know, one thing I've noticed about your stories that you've been sharing with me, you have a knack for also understanding your customer and understanding what they need. So the examples that you've given, like understanding that some of your customers in Million Dollar Collar want to mail you a shirt and just have you do it for them. Some people just want it in the shirt. When you were in the screen, in the screen printing business, understanding that these bars you know, make more money off a of beer than they do off of a shirt and understanding that that's such a... It's a hard thing to teach, but I mean, you just shared a couple of stories, how effective that is as a business when you really understand what your customer is thinking about and what's important to them and the problems that they're trying to solve and weave your business into that solution. Yeah, I think uh, I get that from my dad. Um, he's in the jewelry industry. Uh, he started out with probably what he says is the smallest jewelry store in, in southeastern Wisconsin. He tried to be everything to everybody with crystal and colored stones and all this stuff. He actually went to see Tony Robbins uh, in 1991, and he was ready to hand over his business. He was so frustrated that it wasn't growing that he was ready to give up. And he went to Tony Robbins, and he got super inspired. And he said, just be good at one thing. And my dad focused on diamonds and diamond engagement rings because people get engaged every single day. No matter how good or bad the economy is, people get engaged every single day. And then he looked at himself and he said, how do I like to buy? Because I hate negotiating. So he, he never had a sale again since 1991 in the jewelry industry, which is unheard of. And he put in the best warranty in the industry. You know, everybody says it's a lifetime warranty, except you got to come in every six months. Otherwise, it voids the warranties. He got rid of that. And so he's got, he looked at how he likes to shop and that really passed on to me. And let me tell you, when you're 22 years old, trying to sell a $7,000 engagement ring to somebody who's 40, uh, you got to really understand who that person is sitting across the counter, even if your name is on the sign. Uh, it, it was difficult to really mature myself enough to sit with somebody and sell them a five, seven, ten thousand dollar engagement ring when you're 21, 22 years old, just thinking about going out that night and hanging out with your friends. Uh, but from that, I was able to always kind of look at the customer's perspective because I watched my dad grow from the smallest to one of the largest independent jewelers in the country. Do you have any sales tips too? Because that's something I talk to people all the time about. If you're going to get in and be an entrepreneur or start a business, you better learn how to sell because that is the number one reason why businesses go out of business is because they don't have enough money or they didn't sell enough stuff, right? Most of the other problems you can recover from, but eventually you can't recover from that one. So what, how do you, if you could explain to somebody how to sell, right? And do it in a way that's, that's, you know, successful and useful. How do you, how would you tell somebody to do that? Uh, I, I like to stick with facts. I mean, like, I like to go back to the jewelry stuff. I mean, it is, everybody thinks it's this commodity and that it's that every diamond is the same. And what the fact of the matter is, is diamonds sparkle because light enters the top and exits the top. And so the cut is the most important thing. And that's what my dad focused on in that industry. And so when you really sit down and you can educate the buyer as to why this diamond, that's one carat, that's an SI1 and a J in color is 3000 at this store, but it's 2000 at that store. 
what's the difference? And so educating and really making people, assisting them and making a, a good buying decision to me is the best way to sell. Uh, that way you're not really selling anything. You're giving facts. I, I don't want to feel like I'm manipulating somebody into buying something that they don't want to buy. I want to help them make a decision that they feel good about. Because when they do, then they're going to call their, tell all the friends and say, dude, you got to go see Rob over at, at, at the jewelry store, man. He'll, he'll show you all the stuff. He'll teach you how to make that right buying decision. I mean, in my early twenties, mid twenties doing real estate, uh, again, you, you have to be able to help somebody make a good buying decision. Uh, and, and, and I think that's, what's the strongest, you don't, you don't want to manipulate people. That's for sure. Like just goes back to under delivering to your customer. You know, like we talked about before, I, you know, if I over deliver and help them feel really strong and empowered, then they've made the decision, not me. For sure. So let's, let's see you in action really quick. So you, I want you to make a pitch for somebody who's listening to this show and go, I don't need that collar thing. My collars are just fine. Why do they need to go get a million dollar collar? The, the biggest feedback I hear is confidence. I mean, I think that's something that is lacking in a lot of people. I mean, you know, when you put on a new piece of clothes or a new suit or a new pair of shoes, you just stand a little taller. You feel a little bit more confident. This product is something that actually gives you more confidence. I mean, I get customer feedback constantly that's like, hey, man, I was just walking through and people like looked at me different. They knew something was different. They knew something was better. I just want to look put together. That's my whole deal. I, I, to me, when it's crumbled, I feel like it's sloppy. That's how I feel. I like feeling put together. Don't you hate it when your shirt looks like that? Yeah, you hate it? Cool. Take five minutes, go to the dry cleaner, have them install it, and never think about it again. Yeah, that's a great, that's a great point, too. You do it once, and then it's done. Right. I mean, it's in the shirt and then you don't ever have to screw with it again. And now you look great. Uh, let's check the salmon one more time. Yeah. What do you think? Oh, OK. We're getting close. Let me hit it with the probe really quick. All right. We're going to wait for that to go. So, uh, Rob, tell uh, tell our listeners where they can find you and where they can find your shirts. I mean, our, our website's probably the easiest, milliondollarcollar.com. It's got all the products. Everything's on there. GoTylus.com is is kind of gone through this rebranding and this relaunch with our shirts coming in. So our own shirts are called GoTylus. That's our, our shirt brand. We wanted to keep the technology and the brand separate. So if someday somebody comes and says, I want to give you a lot of money for your technology, they can go buy off that brand and buy a million dollar collar. Or if we build this go tireless brand we can go and sell that that off and continue to own the technology so those are the two separate companies um million dollar collar on on instagram is probably the most active and if you guys want to go on and uh and help with some of the haters that don't understand what the product is that would be appreciated because there's a lot of them that have nothing better to do they help our algorithm which is fine with me but you know some of the comments i get are just pretty <laughs> dumb so <laughs> i can't always be the one who's going back at these people <laughs> yeah well you, you're nobody until somebody hates you on the internet that's what i yeah. always say like you know if you're not if no one's throwing rocks at you on the internet you're probably not doing anything interesting so screw those guys and uh and they probably look like shit in their shirts so who cares i know it's um, funny some of those some of those people that that are the ones commenting are like oh okay but okay well you didn't want me to look at your profile did you <laughs> okay no yeah now i do and you look like hell so <laughs> nice good best of luck to you uh, good luck on your Tinder dates or whatever. So, uh, 
It's great to have you here, Rob. Uh, what a cool story. What a cool product. I love being able to highlight entrepreneurs like you that um, have skill sets and are willing to share. Thank you so much for being here. Absolutely, man. It was awesome. Don't forget to like us on social media. We're on Instagram, TikTok, Facebook. I think we're still on MySpace. I don't know. We're probably not. But uh, go find us on social media. Like us uh, wherever you're finding your podcast. Give us a five-star rating. We really appreciate it.